is, is that just being okay, just being, just existing, uh, just knowing about Jesus or just knowing about God's word is just okay, but that's not, that's not okay. Uh, so this morning we're going to continue uh, in Romans chapter 5. So Michael did the first part of Romans chapter 5 last week, talked about the great exchange, what we've exchanged through Christ, what we had before Christ, and then what we traded that in for as a result of what Christ did for us on the cross. And today we're going to really expound on that concept as we compare and contrast Jesus with Adam, uh, and Adam being the first man. So the, the first person that God created is Adam. And so Paul in Romans chapter 5 verses 12 through 21 contrasts Jesus with Adam. And what, what we want to look at this morning really is that Adam is, is all of us. Um, and scripture really doesn't make any, any bones about that. And, and we'll look at that in some detail this morning. So let's get right into it. Romans chapter 5 verse 12. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given. And when he's talking about the law here, he's talking about the law of Moses, the law that was given formally by God in the Ten Commandments to Moses on Mount Sinai. But it was not counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. Still, everyone died from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, and even those who did not disobey an explicit command of God as Adam did. Sounds unfair, doesn't it? Now, Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who was yet to come. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners, but because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. God's law was given so that people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Have you guys ever been in class and you felt like the teacher had said something about four different ways, but they were really saying the same thing? And you've just been in that class, and it's been going on for about 30 minutes, and you just want to throw your hand up and go, I, we got it. Like, I, I feel certain that we've got it. You've said it over and over and over again. It feels a little bit like that's what Paul is doing here, because he sort of keeps repeating this. 
he actually is nuancing and building on it as he goes, but he is driving home a point, and it's not a subtle one. It's a very open point, and it really is the main point of this passage. And, and if you don't remember anything that we talked about this morning, remember this, and this is what Paul is doing as he's writing this letter. Jesus is better. He's better. Jesus is better. He's better than everyone else that ever was, that ever will be, that is right now. He's better than kings and rulers and emperors. He's better than presidents. He's better than angels and demons, scientists, musicians, actors, athletes. The best person you know, the best person you've ever known, the best person you've ever heard stories of, he's better. Nothing compares to Jesus. To try to draw analogies, to try to make comparisons, to try to create some kind of, I guess, example, all falls short. It's a waste of time to analogize Jesus. We can't comprehend how much better he really is. He is the best. He's better to the infinitieth power, high school students. How much is that, Judy? It's infinity. (laughs) Jesus is better to the infinity of power. It means I can't wrap my mind around how much better he is. That's what Paul is doing here for us. And I really want you to feel that this morning. I'm going to be a little bit geeked up about as much as I love talking about Jesus. And that's what Paul's doing here. Like he's, he's just proclaiming the glory of Jesus in these verses. And so that's what we want to do together this morning. One of the points here is that, is that Jesus is not just a teacher of ideas and philosophies and principles for living. That's not, that's not what he's about. There are ideas and philosophies and principles for living in God's word. So if you just sat apart from God's word, if you read the Proverbs, if you read Psalms, if you read Ecclesiastes, if you read even some of Jesus' teaching without knowing who Jesus is, you can get a good feel for right living. You really can't. And you can be okay. You can be be really okay. Listen, if you just did everything Proverbs says do and don't do, you'll be okay. You really will be. But that's not the point. And that's not who Jesus is. He's not just a purveyor of right living. He doesn't just have a better mousetrap. He he is the mousetrap. He's the only one, and it's the best one ever made and ever will be made, the best one that will ever exist, and not even made because Jesus isn't made. He's God. He is. He is an objective reality, not subjective. We don't make Jesus in our own image. We, We try, But we can't make Jesus in our own image. We can't create characteristics for Jesus in our own mind and then set him up. That's called an idol. Jesus is an objective reality. He's God. He made us in his image, not vice versa. What you'll hear out in the world a lot is that man creates God in his image. And that is absolutely true in many cases. But the Jesus of the Bible the Jesus of Scripture, the Jesus that we worship and serve and love and adore is an objective 
reality. I cannot shape him any more than I can create new life right now. He is God. And because he's God, he's better. Faith, hope, love, all of these beautiful things that we talk about, especially in the New Testament, and even this Paul talks about faith and hope and love, and the greatest of these is love. All of those things are core concepts. They're they're key to our eternal joy, but they don't exist outside of Jesus. So if I'm pursuing faith, or I'm pursuing hope, or I'm pursuing love outside of the person of Jesus, I'm wasting my time. He is those things. They don't exist outside of him. Anything that looks like faith and hope and love that doesn't involve Jesus is an idol, or it's a false path, or just something that I'm chasing. That's why, that's why he's better. i just give you a little logic problem, Luke. Luke likes logic problems. I like logic problems. I really enjoyed taking the LSAT because the whole, there's a whole section in the LSAT that's logic games. And it's just a blast. I don't know what I learned in that section, but I can do logic games. Here's a great logic game for you. Paul says that love is the greatest thing in the universe. Jesus is love. Therefore... Jesus is the greatest thing in the universe. Simple logic, Jesus is better. Check out this quote from John Piper. Rootless emotionalism that treats Christianity or following Christ like a therapeutic option will be swept away in the last days when when things get hard and when it's getting close to his return, as the Bible says, Those who will be left standing will be those who have built their house on the rock of great objective truth with Jesus Christ as the origin, center, and goal of it all. The origin, the center, and the goal of it all. When the the worship music craze started and we sort of switched over from hymns and Southern gospel music, really, and a performance-really-based music to, to more of a group worship style, a song came out called Jesus Be the Center. And it says exactly what Paul is saying here, is that Jesus has to be in and through everything we do. He's not a, he's not a check mark on the board of things I need to get done. He flows through it all. Why? Because he's better than it all. He's better than all of it. Let's look specifically what Paul's talking about here in Romans 5 about how Jesus is better. So let's just put meat on the bones and look really specifically at it. First, Adam's sin was for the glory of Jesus. Adam's sin was for the glory of Jesus. Look at verse 14. It's sort of the second half of it. Well, I'll start at the beginning. Still, everyone died from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not disobey an explicit command of God. Now, Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who was yet to come. What's Paul saying here? What Paul is saying here is that God knew before the foundation of the world that Adam would sin and had already planned for Christ to redeem it. 
Don't believe me? Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. For God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from, the, from before the beginning of time to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. I know that's hard to wrap your mind around, but if you think of God and you, and you understand that God is eternal and he lives outside of time and he's not bound by time or space or all of the constructs that we set up and even the constructs that he set up for us when he's not bound by them. Adam's sin didn't catch God off guard. I think a lot of times we get this idea that somehow God was on vacation and Adam and Eve snuck around behind his back while he was out and disobeyed and then he came back and what's been going on up in here? There's pizza on the floor. There's pizza on the ceiling. I smell alcohol. That, we get that idea because that's, that's where we are. We have sort of this finite human brain and we see that you know, God was caught off guard by what Adam and Eve did. No, he planned redemption through Christ before he created Adam. Because he knew that's what Adam would do. Adam's sin didn't frustrate God's purpose. It served them. And we go, wait a minute, God. You know, a holy, loving God could have stopped Adam from sinning. Couldn't he, like, couldn't he have, have just shown up in that moment in the garden when Satan is there and he's tempting Eve? Couldn't God have just shown up in that moment and said, you know what, Satan, I'm tired of you. Get out of here. These people aren't going to sin. Couldn't he have stopped it? Sure, he could have stopped it. He could have stopped any number of things that would have interfered with free will, that would have interfered with our ability to freely choose to love him or not. He absolutely could have, but he didn't. Adam's sin served God's purpose. What was that purpose? To glorify Christ. If Adam doesn't sin, Christ doesn't have a need to be here. If there's no sin, there's no need for a redeemer. So the glory of Christ that we observe that's shown is because of Adam's sin. It's a conduit to the glory of Christ. Jesus is better because he is glorified in Adam's failure. Where Adam failed, Jesus is glorified. You're like, well, Brian, I've kind of read this story. Why is it just that Adam failed? Like, why isn't Paul comparing Jesus to Eve or Eve and Adam? Because last time I checked, Eve was the first one to take and eat of the fruit that God said don't eat. I have heard this talked about many, many times, and some of it very misogynistic. It has more to do with the fact that God told Adam not to eat of the tree. He told him that before he made Eve. Eve is literally deceived by the serpent. Now, she still had a choice. She still could have said, wait a minute, Adam said that God said don't eat from that tree, and she even did say that. And Satan said, yeah, but did he really say that? Did you hear God say that? No, you heard Adam say that. Eve is literally deceived. And then when she comes to Adam and says, hey, I've eaten this fruit. This is really good. What does Adam do? He doesn't say, hey, God said we shouldn't eat that. Oh, he's like, oh, really? Yeah, cool. Adam's not deceived. Adam was told directly by God, don't eat that. It's an abject 
unmitigated failure on the part of Adam, born out of pride and his desire to be on the level of God. The same desire that we have in us today, I want to be God. I want to be as smart as God. I want to be in control of my destiny. That's Adam's failure. Jesus is better because what he did gets glory out of what Adam did. Second way Jesus is better is that Adam is the head of a doomed race and Jesus is the head of a redeemed race. Look at verse 17. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Paul uses some interesting phraseology here. He doesn't just say that death came into the world. He said that death came into control of the world, that death rules. Nothing is more certain in this life than death. It's coming to all of us. I don't know if you guys have ever seen the movie, What About Bob? It's one of my favorite movies. It's hilarious. But there's a little boy in the movie, and he's a fatalist. And he's always talking about death. He's always wearing black. And, you know, he gets in these really deep philosophical moments, and he goes, all I know is one thing. I'm going to die. You are going to die. We are all going to die. Of course, the character Bob, he's completely oblivious to this idea of death. He's scared of death, but it doesn't affect his daily activities. And it's a great contrast. But the truth is that we all feel death around us at all times. I mean, we even prayed yesterday during our leaders meeting, and we've got folks who've lost loved ones, and and it's just, and they're going to lose loved ones, people who are dying, in, in the process of dying, just got diagnosed with a death certificate. I mean, th- these are, this is real. Death rules in this life. And the reason that death rules is because Adam handed death the keys. Imagine that. God literally hands Adam the keys to this life. Look at what I made for you, man. And by the way, here's the keys. Enjoy that. Adam hands them to death. Hey, death, there you go. I don't want those anymore. And now death rules. Paul says that through Christ, you can rule over death. That's a concept that I can get behind. Through Christ, I can rule over death. Death can no longer control me through Christ. It can no longer have dominion in my life. Look at the progression. So there's Adam, and then Adam's sin, and then humanity is condemned to eternal separation from God. That's Adam's heritage. That's Adam's legacy. And when I say Adam, I mean me. That's my legacy. That's your legacy. Put your name in the place of Adam's name. Brian, Brian's sin Humanity condemned, and Brian along with it, eternal separation from God. That's my legacy. Jesus' legacy is Jesus' righteousness, humanity justified, and eternal life with Christ. That's what Jesus brings to the table. I bring death. Jesus brings life. It's a pretty stark contrast. There's not a ton of explanation required. 
Death in Adam is a universal truth. We will all die. No one escapes it. But God, in his sovereignty, and when I say sovereignty, I mean that God rules over all. That's what that means. He's in control of it all. He invites us to make this great exchange that Michael talked about last week. Switch it out. Death in Adam, trade that in for life in Christ. Imagine going to the car dealership with your busted Chevy pickup truck. Your 1995 Chevy pickup, you go to the car dealership, Ford dealership, and you say, I'd like to trade this Chevy in on a brand new Ford. The dealer says, that's great. We have one right here. Here's a brand new 2019 Ford F-150 pickup truck. It's got all the bells and whistles. It's the Lariat version. It's got the sunroof. It's got the leather seats. All the things that you could want and wish for in this kind of truck. Okay, great. How much will you give me for my trade? Well, your trade is worthless. Your trade is absolutely worthless. But I'm just, there's no additional charge. We're going to take your busted Chevy and give you this much better Ford truck. And all we ask for you to do is to take this Ford and drive it around and talk about how great of a company Ford is and talk about what Ford did for you when it traded out your busted Chevy and gave you this Ford. Isn't that a great exchange? And that pales in comparison. It's not even an analogy to what God has done for us through Christ. We came with death and destruction. The Bible says filthy rags. I showed up with my filthy rags and my, and my garbage. I went to the trash heap and just scooped a bunch of it up, and I walked in and said, God, what will you give me for this? And he says, through Jesus, I'll give you everything. All you got to do is take it. Why is Jesus, and this is the question I think, obviously Paul is getting this question as he's talking to people. As he's spreading the gospel, he's getting this question. Why is Jesus not Adam or not some other person? Why, Why not even you, Paul? Why is Jesus the only way to eternal life? Well, it's because Jesus provides three things that Adam never could and three things that I never can provide on my own. One is limitless grace. Grace that has no bounds and no end, no cap, no expiration date. That's what Jesus provides that Adam can't provide, could never provide. Look at verse 15 at the end of the verse. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. Even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness. Now, no matter what Adam's sin caused, and it caused a lot, death, destruction, famine, sickness, worry, old age, all of the things that Adam's sin brought, God says Christ's sacrifice is better and it overcomes all of that because of this wonderful boundless, matchless grace that he offers to us as a gift of forgiveness because of Jesus, because of what he did on the cross. He can offer us limitless, boundless, matchless grace because his obedience was perfect. No matter how hard I try 
no matter what I do, no matter how many rules I read, no matter how much Bible I learn and memorize, my obedience will never be perfect. Paul reminds us earlier in this passage that the law is there to remind me how sinful I am. What the law does is it tells me I can never keep it. If I brought in a stack of the South Carolina statutory code, I couldn't hold it in my hands. I'd have to wheel it in here on a cart, and it's just books and books and books and books of laws you could never follow. The reason I have a job is to help a very small segment of our society and our economy follow the laws that apply to them, the construction industry. And I have to help them follow the laws that they break on a daily basis. Now, are they criminal? No. But they're not following the law. It's not possible. Except for Jesus. With him, it was possible. The Bible says he never sinned. He never disobeyed. His obedience to, Christ, to God was perfect. Look at verse 19. One person disobeyed God, Adam. Many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. Notice how Paul ties Jesus' righteousness to his obedience. Jesus' full, unwavering obedience is a sign of his righteousness. And that's what God's offering to trade me out for. My disobedience for Jesus' perfect obedience. He never failed. He did exactly what God willed him to do. As a result of the first two, and his holiness and his righteousness, Jesus offers eternal life where Adam offers eternal death. Look at verse 21. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Eternal life, never dying, never being bound by this awful, terrible thing that we have to experience called death. Never having to worry about it again. So this legacy of death that Adam foisted upon us is made whole and right and eternal by Christ. That's why Jesus is better. Adam and no one in Adam's line could have gone to the cross. Even if they had made it to the cross, the sacrifice would have been a waste because they weren't perfect, weren't holy, weren't righteous, weren't God. Only God through Christ could go to the cross and provide redemption. I still think we struggle. I know I struggle with this in my own heart, but I still think we struggle with the idea that I can or should do something, that I owe God something, that I have to earn something from God, that I'm not worthy to take what God has given through Christ. I think some of us, even in a more prideful way, really believe we bring something to the table. I think we really believe in our heart of hearts that I'm bringing something to the table and I've done God a favor by being in his camp. I really think we do. But here's the thing. Jesus is better. 
that thing you're chasing, like for real, that thing you're chasing, that thing that means the most to you in this world, Jesus is better. That job you're chasing, that salary increase, that promotion at work, Jesus is better. That man you're chasing, ladies, husband, boyfriend, object of your affection, that lady you're chasing, men, Jesus is better. He's infinitely better. That new car, Clemson Tiger Sports, all of these things that you're chasing, Jesus is better. He's better than your sin. He's better than your thoughts. He's better than your failures. He's better than your desires. He's better than everything you've ever put on the table and ever will put on the table. Nothing will come into your life. Nothing will be put in front of you. Nothing will catch your attention that Jesus won't be better than. And what we do is we do the reverse exchange. We exchange Christ and his righteousness and his grace and his truth and his eternal life for all this junk over here that we think has value. We go to the Ford dealership and turn in our 2019 Ford F-150 to get a busted 1998 Chevy Silverado that needs a new engine. And we drive out of there with this grin on our face. (laughs) Hey, look what I got. (laughs) We do it all the time. We don't realize we're doing that, but that's what we're doing by chasing all of these things that Satan wants us to chase. The same things that he wanted Adam and Eve to chase. The same things that he got Eve and Adam to chase. Hey, you, you have dominion over the earth. God created it for your pleasure and for his glory. Gave you control over it. Made you perfect without death. Satan says, hey, I'm going to let you trade that in for some death. And Adam's like, okay. Satan is the best used car salesman in the history of used car salesmen. He's still the best, by the way, at that. And we buy it, like a hook, line, and sinker all the time. We totally buy it. But he's so cute. Oh, he's so cute. Jesus is better. Ladies, how many of y'all read the Beth Moore post this February 14th on Valentine's Day? How many of you read that? Please go Google that, for real. It's been a long time since I've really... I guess, read anything that Beth has done, although I'd I'd love her writing. But um, (laughs) Beth Moore is a Christian author, and she put out this post on Valentine's Day that is just pure gold. You'll look at it sometimes. But the gist of her her post is Jesus is better. He's better than all this. If we get to a point as believers where we fully grasp this concept that Jesus is better and he's all we want, our lives will change. And the lives of the people around us will be affected, and their lives will change. And then they'll see Jesus as better, and then they'll trade in their affections for Jesus, and then they'll change someone's life. That, that's the way it works. That's, that's God's plan. If, if you don't know Christ, if you've never surrendered your life to Christ, just recognize that Jesus is better. What you're holding right now, if you've never surrendered your life to Christ, you are holding rotten death. 
It's what you have in your hands. And it is eating your soul. Right now. Trade that in for Jesus. Make the great exchange. Say, God, take all of this stuff and give me Jesus. We're very much like the Jews at the time Jesus was crucified. God walks up in front of us, a man who is a criminal, dirty, rotten scoundrel, and Jesus. And he says, who will you take? You want Barabbas? Change that name. You want Brian? Adam? Put your name in there. You want Barabbas or Jesus? And we yell, give us Barabbas, crucify Jesus. That's what we do. And we can sit there and poke fun at the Jews all we want to, and we can say, well, the Jews put Jesus on the cross. No, they did not. My sin put him there. I put him there. I might as well have been driving the nails. That's my legacy. That's what I bring to the table. Jesus brings life and glory and majesty and redemption and restoration and reconciliation and all of the things that have eternal value. That's what he brings because he's better than anything I bring. Look at this quote from Charles Hodge. As we fell in Adam, we are saved in Christ. To deny the principle in the one case is to deny it in the other. So if I say, I'm not affected by Adam's sin, I also deny that I'm redeemed in Christ. I don't need redemption if I'm not affected by Adam's sin. The two are inseparably united in the representations of Scripture. If the race fell in Adam, much more shall it be restored in Christ. If death reigned by one, much more shall grace reign by one. So I think the question we have to ask ourselves this morning and every day from now on is does Christ's grace and righteousness reign in my life, or does death? We even talked last night in our men's group about the, the power of the tongue and speaking death with our tongue and the things that we say. Do I want Christ to reign over my tongue or me? What ultimately is my desire? All of the mistakes that we make, all of these terrible decisions. If you go to the root, to the bottom of all of them, they're all because you're chasing something that's not Christ. I mean, it's, it's 100% of the time. And I don't mean to be coy about it, because sometimes our problems are more complicated to sort through, but at the end of the day, if you chase it all the way to the bottom, that bad decision I made is because I'm chasing something other than Christ. And it goes from the really difficult, life-altering decisions to just the stuff that we contend with every day. It goes from the $10,000 in credit card debt to the ruined marriage. It goes from the benign to the ridiculous. But every decision that I've made that's been poor, well, why are you in $10,000 of credit card debt? Because I'm trying to buy things I don't need 
with money I don't have to impress people I don't like. Right? I'm chasing significance. I'm chasing notoriety. I'm chasing whatever it is that makes me look cool. And because of it, I traded that in for what I have in Jesus, which is significance and enough. He's enough. Why? Because he's better. And I, I promise you, I can't promise you a lot of things, but I can promise you what scripture promises. If you will dedicate your life to accepting and chasing Christ, the number of your bad decisions will decrease exponentially. For real. And those broken relationships and those hard times and all of the angst and the suffering that you've brought on yourself by chasing things other than Christ will go away. We're still going to struggle with the sufferings of this life. Because death is still very real. We are still very fallen. But we have redemption in Christ. And if we will trade that in and trust him and accept him and dedicate our lives to him, things will change. It's the only thing I can promise you. It's the only truth I have to give you. As a lawyer and as a counselor and even counseling with Jenny, Together, as we talk to people, we just start our conversations off with that now. You know, I used to, and it was prideful and sinful. And what I was doing was dealing death. When I sat down in a conversation and act like, I'm a, I'm a, here, all right, here's your six-step plan to get out of debt. Yeah, I'm super smart. I start the conversation now with, all right, listen, if you're unwilling to follow Christ and his principles in your life, there's not a lot Jenny and I can do for you. So I want to get that out in the beginning of this conversation but if we're going to tackle this $10,000 of debt, you got to stop spending your money on stuff that's not glorifying to Christ. Okay? We don't get a lot of return visitors on that. I just realize why. But, but for real, I mean, I just try to get it right down, which was almost the title of our series, Where the Rubber Meets the Road. I'm really trying to get it right down to where it matters. So take, take the theology out of it. Paul's very clear on the theology, and I hope I've helped you understand that a little bit better this morning. I certainly helped myself understand it a little bit better. But let's take that and set it to the side, and let's bring it right down to where the rubber meets the road. Your life will change for the better and for eternity if you'll just turn it over to Christ. Why? Because he's better. I beg you. I plead you. I jump up and down. I get up on the stage and jump up and down. Please. Please, turn your life over to Jesus. Let's walk in it together. He's better. He'll change you. He will redeem you. He will give you eternal life. He will make you the agent for change with your friends and family and your coworkers and your community. And he will do things through you that you could never have imagined and you won't even know how it happened. Because he's better. So take Adam klutzy, bald, hairy Adam. Turn him in for Jesus. Turn him in. Look in that mirror and say, this guy or Jesus? That should be an easy call. It's not, but it should be. Let's do that individually and together.